Welcome to the Coastline Podcast. We exist as a church to help connect you to God and the people around you, to help you grow in your faith, and to challenge you to go into your community sharing the love of Christ. Three things, connect, grow, go. If you'd like information on what is going on at Coastline, follow us on Instagram and Facebook or email us at hello at coastlinensb.com. How's it going this morning, Coastline? Y'all doing all right? Yeah, man. I'm loving this winter weather in New Smyrna Beach, right? This is kind of crazy. Um, <clears throat> hey, if this is your first time here or maybe first time in a while, I want to introduce myself. My name is Brian Nichols. I'm the pastor here at Coastline. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us here uh, this morning. Uh, for those of us that uh, were maybe not brave enough uh, to fight through the, the bike week traffic or whatever that's going on in Volusia County right now, if you're watching online, I want to welcome you and thank you so much for, uh, for hanging out with us here this morning. It's going to be a good morning. Uh, it's bike week in Volusia County. Along with the same time, it's winter, so that means we got a lot of people from up north, some snowbirds in town. And so I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to be honest with you, if you live anywhere in New Smyrna Beach, your salvation is going to be tested, okay? Your patience is going to be tested. If you got to get around anywhere, like add another half an hour. I don't care where you got to get to, just do it. Uh, don't tell anybody they're number one or anything like that, okay? Or if you do, at least make sure you don't have a Coastline sticker on the back of your car or nothing like that. I'll get you another church's sticker you can put on there. It'll be great. Um, but, hey, in, in all seriousness, I'm joke, all jokes aside, uh, man, um, be careful as you're driving out there. Watch out for the people around you. I know some people drive crazy and stuff like that, bikers uh, included. Uh, but, man, God loves those guys as much as he loves us. And so let's look out for them as much as we can. Make sure you're checking your blind spots. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, just be, just be the, the godly people God wants you to be, man. Continue to share his love with those around him. Today we're in part two of a series. We started last week, uh, and we're going through the story of Elijah. How many of you guys were here last week? A couple people were. Um, if you didn't, you can go back and watch it if you want to on YouTube, uh, or I think it's also on our church website. You can pull it up uh, there. But we're just going through the life of Elijah and to see how God used a normal, ordinary person to do some miraculous, extraordinary things. And the key, the, the key thing in how he was able to do it was because he continued to put his faith in God. Every day he woke up, normal person like you and me, but he continued to put his faith in God and God alone. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump into a little bit of a recap of what we talked about last week, and then we'll get into the meat of what this morning is going to be. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for all that you're doing in our lives. I thank you for what you're doing in our community. God, I pray that you continue to use us in a mighty, mighty way. God, as we worked in, walked in here this morning, as we drove in, uh, there might have been some things that happened on the way here. There might have been some things that happened last week. There might be some things that we're, we're frustrated about or, or worried about for next week. God, I pray right now in this moment that your Holy Spirit would come upon us. You would calm our nerves, calm our emotions, Give us clarity and understanding. As we, as we read your word, I pray that we would get out of it exactly what you want us to see. I pray that we would put our faith into action and that through that you would change our lives forever. We thank you so much for what's to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. 
So last week we started talking about this guy, Elijah. Elijah is, uh, the book of, of 1 Kings is where you're going to find the story of Elijah. And that is, this is in the, the Old Testament portion of the Bible. Uh, and this follows the time right after King Solomon, which was the son of, of King David. King Solomon uh, comes into rule. Uh, he dies. And after him would come uh, a long list of, of terrible, just bad kings in the Israel, in the Israel nation. Israelite nation. These, these kings would continue to pull the people and pursue, uh, pull the people away from God and pursue other gods and idols. They would bring in uh, different idols like uh, the idol or the, the, the false god of Baal uh, or the false god of Asher, Asherah. And they would get the people to continue to try to worship these other false gods and God wasn't happy with this. And so God sends Elijah, the prophet. Now, when we think prophet, we think like mystical. We, uh, it's not so much as, don't think like a wizard as much as you would like someone who communicates on behalf of God. This was the, the press secretary of God during this time. And so God sends Elijah to his people and says, hey, you, there's some things that we've got to adjust. There's some things that we've got to, we've got to change. But you're not in, the, you're not in the, uh, the, the, the mind frame yet to be able to make these changes. And so I'm going to make you go through a drought, a season of drought, a, series, a season of hardship. And as soon as Elijah tells the, the evil king Ahab about this drought that's going to happen, God pulls him away and takes him into a place of pruning, a place of, of cutting off. He sends, he sends Elijah to, to a place in which he says, hey, I'm going to take some time to work on you as an individual. And so as Elijah's there and as God is feeding him, as these ravens are bringing him bread and meat, as his faith is continually strengthened, as he trusts every day, he wakes up and he continues to trust in God, it says the stream that he was encamped next to dried up. And he went to the small town that God told him to go to. And he went and he met uh, a woman, a widow woman and her son. And through a series of events, not only was his own faith strengthened, but the, their faith in God was strengthened as well. To the point of, at the end of that story, we see that her son gets so sick that he dies. But because Elijah has seen God show up time and time and time again, and the, the, the mother has seen God show up time and time and time again, she brings the body before Elijah. She says, I know your God can do anything. Elijah prays for him, and God heals and brings the boy back to life. It's this fantastic, fantastic story. And so we're going to pick up uh, just shortly after that, a few, just a, a few years later, uh, but in, the, in the, for, the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. This is just one chapter over from what we talked about last week. If you've got a Bible, you can pull it up there. But it says this. It says, later... In the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. Now, I want to stop right there before we get into more of the story because I felt like as I was reading that, there's a couple things that, that stood out to me, some things that I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying might even be for some people in this room today. The drought that happened as Elijah had, had foretold it 
was very severe. It was something that would have affected everyone. It wouldn't have just affected the royal family. It would have affected uh, every, every type of walk of life. Anybody on any social status would have been affected by this. And this isn't something that happened quickly. This isn't something that happened over a couple months. This is, the Bible says that this happened over three years. I feel like in the world that we live in right now, we, we, we like and we want instant gratification so much that, that our patience has become weaker and weaker and weaker. And many times our, our patience runs parallel with our faith. But I think for some of us in this room, what we need to hear is, is you know, you might be feeling like you're going through a drought. You might be feeling like you're going through a time where, where things just feel dry, where, where things just don't make sense. Who you're working for or, or the job you're working, you're like, man, this, this isn't it. The stage of life that you're in, you're like, I'm ready for, I'm ready for what's next. I feel like in this, what you need to hear this morning is exactly what God says to Elijah. He says, hey, get, get ready because rain's coming. Get ready because the season that you've been in, you just need to hold on. If you'll have faith for a little bit longer, it's going to work out. So it says that Elijah uh, goes to King Ahab, but even in that, you see, as, as he says, hey, I want you to go present yourself to King Ahab. If I put myself in Elijah's shoes, it's one of those things where it's like, it's easy to get a little bit of afraid, right? Because you told this guy three years ago there's going to be a drought, and this drought has devastated the land. And now God says, hey, I want you to go back to King Ahab. And for me, there'd be, there'd be a little tension in that, because it's like, well, I don't know how that guy's going to, he's not going to be real happy to see me. The last time I met him, I gave him some bad news, and over these past three years, that bad news hasn't gotten any better. Elijah doesn't fight God. He doesn't even question it because his faith is so strong. He says, God, you tell me to do it. I'm going to go do it. And so he goes. In verse 17, it says, when Ahab saw him, he, he exclaimed, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Now, sometimes I feel like when I read stuff like this, I think maybe somebody edited this a little bit. They made this sound a little bit nicer. Because I, I don't think in those days the king who is an evil king and uh, who has gone through years, three years of drought and sees Elijah for the first time says, oh, you little troublemaker, you, right? That's not quite how people respond, right? He probably had some more colorful language he would have said to him, right? He said, you, you lint liquor, you, you, you cootie queen, you know, he would have he had something more colorful to say, I think, to him. But clearly he's frustrated. And as I read this, I couldn't, I couldn't help but connect even in my own life. You know, we live in a culture right now where when bad things happen, when something goes wrong, it's a lot easier for us to point a finger and say, what did this person do? What did these people do? It's a lot easier to point a finger than it is to search our own selves and figure out what's going on even with us. Is there something that, that we've done? Is there something we could have done, we could have done better? It's really easy to, to get frustrated and mad at other people. But sometimes maybe the, the mature thing for us to do, maybe the thing that, that we should be doing is not what everyone else is doing. Maybe we should stop and say, is there, 
is there a better way? Is there an opportunity for me to extend grace? Ahab, he looks at him and says, you troublemaker. He's frustrated with him, but really what he should be doing is looking inward at his own self and saying, hey, what? I get the point. Let's fix it. If we continue on in verse 18, it says, uh, Elijah responds to me, he says, I've made no trouble for Israel. He says, you and your families are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Baal was the, the false idol that they were worshiping. Now, here's the thing. What he, he turns back and he says, hey, you, you got to take a look in the mirror, buddy. You're, you're the one that has gone astray. And he refers back to uh, what, what, uh, what Ahab would have known to be the base of the law, the root of the law, the, the Torah, the, the, the Old Testament, the, even the beginning of the very Ten Commandments. Ahab would have known these, and Elijah, he references it. He says, man, you, you've gotten to a point where you don't even obey the command of the Lord. The first commandment says that we should have no other gods before him. And here, Ahab and his wife Jezebel have set up these two gods and have called the people to worship them and do these ungodly, evil, crazy things. You know, this, this idea of putting God first is, is not something that uh, you only see one time in the Bible. Clearly, it's talked about in the Old Testament. It's something that, that God says, this is the very first thing. Rely on me. Focus, focus. Understand where your help comes from. It's me. Jesus backs this up again in his time. This would be hundreds of years after Elijah and Ahab. These, these uh, Pharisees come to Jesus and say, what's the most important commandment? He says, well, well how's it written? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he says, these, he said, this is the basis of it all. This is the foundation of everything else that's going to come next. Love God and put him first. This is something that the Israelite nation, that especially Ahab and his wife Jezebel had completely gone off with. They were not at a point where they were putting God first. They were putting this other idol, this other God first in their life. And for us, at, at face value, we think that this is something that, would, that feels and sounds foreign. Us, we, I mean, we, we came to church. We're watching church online this morning. We're giving the first day of our week to God, saying, God, I'm, I'm following you. It doesn't make it, who in the, the right mind would worship or give attention to a false idol? But, but I'm going to stand on the stage and tell you, like, as your pastor, this is something that, that I'm guilty of in my own life. This is something that, that is not as foreign to us as you would expect. Because many of us, we've, we've put the time and the effort and the focus and the things that, that we thought would make our lives better. That we 
thought would be able to give us the promises that, that we want of, of having a successful life. And I think one of the things that, uh, that in this world that we have a, a problem with that we, that we definitely put our attention on more than we should is money. We value to the point money where it has become this, this false God in our lives where we think if we just have enough of it, if we can bring enough money together, if we can, if we can future-proof, you know, bring enough m- money together for even the future and our future families, then, then we won't have problems, that life will be good, that we'll experience happiness, that we'll experience peace in our life. But unfortunately, money gives us this promise that it can't back up. Because I, I know many people, they've got lots of money, and are incredibly miserable in their life. I don't know how many people, people that I love that, that have accumulated wealth and then something happens in their marriage or in their health that money cannot fix or adjust because it's not a fix-all. It doesn't have all authority. It's, it's a false idol. Same thing with, with status. Some of us, we get to the point where we're like, man, if I can just get to the next rung of the ladder, if I can just, if I can get in with these people, then, then life will be good. If I can get my, my, my job or if I can get uh, my business to, to this next, uh, this next upper echelon, then, then life will be exactly what I need. But there'll always be a next level. And we get to the point where we're chasing this thing and hoping that we're going to get peace and we never get it because it cannot fulfill the promise that God can, that he is the God above all gods and can take care of and handle anything and everything that you're dealing with. We put sports up as a false idol. And you cannot, I, I, I love you so much, but I, I literally went to Daytona 500 and two weeks ago, it was fantastic, it was great. But I saw more people clapping and raising their hands and jumping up and down wearing some crazy stuff they should not be wearing. But they, they were, man, if that didn't look like worship, I don't know what else did. We go to football games, we stand in front of our TVs and we yell at it. We put in enough time and effort to study the players and know what's going on, that it has the risk of becoming this false idol. Our hobbies get in the way. Our hobbies can become false idols to us. I'm going to tell you right now, I hope that there's never a time in which I stand before God and God says, let me tell you how much time and effort you put in to fishing. Let, let, let's see how many YouTube videos you watched on this hobby that you have. It's one of those things as I read these, as I, as I, as I look at Ahab, I say, dude, you got it all wrong. It's hard not to look at myself and say, man, I've got to keep my own self in check. I've got to make sure that, that when it comes to my life, when it comes to my family, I'm going to put God first, put him and him alone, and rely on him. We can do the same thing even for our kids. Our kids can become the, the, our false idols. They can become to the point where we're putting so much time and effort into getting them to the next step. We're trying to take them to football. We're trying to take them to baseball. I don't think that you should, means you should love your kids any less. But I think when it comes to you experiencing 
peace, when you're experiencing fulfillment, when you're living the life that you're supposed to, I think it, I think all that only comes from God and God alone. I think everything else is temporary. If we read on, it says that um, Elijah gave some, uh, gave some insight. He, he told him, he said, hey, we're going we're gonna to address this just a little bit. And so he tells King Ahab, he says, now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. This is the Ahab's uh, evil, evil queen. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? He said, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. I think that's, this is exactly what God even wants in us. He wants us to get to the point where he said that, that no longer is this thing that's split down the middle. It's not that we come to church and we act one way, we raise our hands, and then Monday through Friday or whatever it is, we act a different way. God wants to have your attention. He wants to have that one-on-one relationship with you. But he doesn't want to get to the point where it's just on your terms, and then you go to something else, and then you come back to him. Later on, we would hear Jesus talk about, he says, either be hot or cold, but don't be, luke, don't be lukewarm. And so Elijah challenges uh, Ahab and Jezebel and, and their two false idols. He challenges them to a duel. And uh, he says, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to build two altars. We're going to get two, uh, uh, I think it was uh, uh, bulls or, or cows or something like that, and we're going to offer sacrifices. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to get to the point, I'm going to let you go first. We're going to offer a sacrifice, and, but we're not going to use any fire. And a fire was a, a, a serious element when it came to sacrifice, and it was something that, that it would be burned up. He says, we're going to let our gods provide the fire. He says, so you get your prophets together, all of them, and you set the sacrifice up the way it needs to be set up, and you do what you need to do, and then afterwards I'm going to do what I, what I need to do, and we'll see which God shows up. And so in verse 26, it says, so they prepared one of the bulls, this is uh, the prophets of Baal, and they placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime. That's a long time. That's a long church service. Anybody down for doing a little morning to noontime church service? Baptists are definitely going to beat us to lunch if we do that, right? From morning till noontime, shouting, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, I love this, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is a God. Perhaps, perhaps he is daydreaming. Or this is, he says, or perhaps he's relieving himself. He's, telling, he's yelling at these guys and saying, like, maybe your God's in, in the bathroom. You've got to yell a little bit louder. He says, or maybe he's on a trip or he's asleep and needs to be 
wakened. In verse 28 says, so they shouted louder and following their normal customs, they, they began to cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. And then they raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still there was no sound, no reply, no response. When I read this, I, I can't help but think of the things that all culture is okay with putting as, as false idols and gods in our own life. And I, I think ultimately this is what it comes down to. We get to the point where we're going to find out that these things don't have the power. They're not able to fulfill the promise that we thought that they would. In verse 30, it says, Then Elijah called to the people. It says, Come over here. And they all crowded around him as he, as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one representing each of the tribes, tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the, same, or in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar and he cut the bull into pieces and he laid the pieces on the wood. And then he says, fill four large jars of water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. And when they had done this, he said, do the same thing now again. And when they were finished, he says, now do it a third time. So they did it, and they did it as he said. And the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Now this is kind of, it's kind of one of those things where it gives you a little bit of an idea of, one, maybe the character of Elijah, but also his faith in God, right? Because here Elijah goes, and he's, he's kind of, he goes from trolling these guys, literally like saying, like, your God's using the bathroom, yell a little louder, to now he's like flexing on him. He's like, you know what, dude, just dump a bunch of water on this thing that we're going to catch on fire. Just dump water. It's all right. Anybody here ever tried to light a, uh, build a fire and light wood that was wet? A couple weeks ago when it was cold, I uh, found this guy on Facebook, and uh, he, had, he had firewood. So I went and bought some firewood from him. And I, I didn't think, like, to feel the firewood, to check the firewood. Well, the firewood was very wet. It was, like, from a tree that had maybe just been cut down. And, like, I'm out in my back porch, like, trying not to cuss while I'm lighting this fire. It's, it was terrible. It was, it was like the smokiest, grossest thing. Like you just can't get it to catch at all. Once firewood is wet, there's no fire that's going to happen. But here Elijah, he's flexing on these guys. He says, man, ma make it a little bit harder. Because what you think God, what God's capable of in your life, what, what in our own understanding, what we think God could do, we don't understand that he can do far greater and beyond what, what's capable for us. So he says, just dump, dump a bunch of water on it. Keep dump, dumping water on it. It says in verse, verse 37, it says, O Lord, he's, he's crying out to God. He says, O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And it said, immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, Lord, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. 
You know, I think for, for many of us today, the difference between us being all in, the difference between us having full faith is just recognizing when God shows up. I, th- I think for some of us, we've forgotten what God can do. We've forgotten what, what, he's, what he's capable of. And I think we're at a place as the church, not even as Coastline, but as the church in general, where God's saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm ready to show up. If, if you'll call on me, if you'll let me do it, if you'll surrender and, and say, have your way, I'm ready to burn some things up. I think for, for the next step for what God's calling you to, much like Elijah sent, the, or much like God sent the prophet of Elijah to Israel to say, hey, there's some things that you need to adjust. There's some things that you've been putting first that, that you ought not. There's, been, there's a, a place in your life that you've been putting God away at. He says, man, for, for what's happening next, I, I want you to put me first. And it's not this thing where God's trying to flex. Or God wants to have a relationship with you that is close and intimate and protective. He wants to provide for you and take care of you. He wants to help you with what you're going through. But he's also a gentleman. And the choice comes down to you and you alone. I love how I love how many times Jesus uses the illustration of a marriage between a husband and a wife to illustrate what a relationship between us and God should look like. God's blessed me with a a wife that is better than I deserve. And as we sit together, as we do life together, as we talk about things that I can't talk about with anybody else, as we're completely transparent, as we love each other unconditionally, the idea of someone else taking her love and affection above me would be incredibly hard for me to receive. And I would assume the same would go for you. You'd be hitting some girl upside the head with your purse, right? Yeah. Beating her down and praying for her later. I get it. I mean, I can't blame you. I mean, 300 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. I mean, what are you going to do? I know that in your life, other than God Almighty, you put me first. I do the same for you. That's how it'll be for the rest of our life. That's what we want. But to understand that that's what God wants with you. God, God wants you to give him the attention and put him first. He wants to help you with what you're going through. He doesn't want you to have to go through the drought anymore. He doesn't want you to have to deal with the struggle that you've been dealing with with your spouse or with your finances or with your job. He's ready to light you on fire in a good way if you'll let him. If you'll put him, if you'll put him first. Today, if, if you listen to this message and 
and you feel like I'm trying to shame you or I'm trying to make you feel or feel bad or something, please know that's not the case. This is something that as the Holy Spirit's telling you, he's telling me too. He's working on me. I don't know what you're going through. I'm not the guy, God never sets up here and tells me like, man, I know what this guy's dealing with. I know what this guy's dealing with. That's not, that's not how it works. But if you feel something on the inside, if you feel conviction, I think that's the Holy Spirit trying to speak to you, trying to help adjust something in you. And it's not for the sake of making you feel bad. God doesn't get anything out of you feeling ashamed. That's the thing that says, hey, this is the area. This is the thing that, that needs to be adjusted. And we don't need to sit on it. We don't need to deal. We don't need to sit in it. We don't need to feel ashamed. We just need to fix it and move on. Because much like Elijah, I believe that God's got plans for you. I know God's got plans for our church. And the best thing we can do is, is not save money for a building, not trying to strategize about getting the right team together, not sitting down and scheduling out the next three years of sermons. But if we put him first in everything that we do, I guarantee he's going to show up in a big way. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you know our lives better than we do. You know the things that we're struggling with. You know the things that we've been searching for and hoping that would bring us peace. Whether it's medication or substances, whether it's material things, whether it's other people. God, you know the drought that we're feeling because those things will never supply what we need. It's the peace that can only come from you. And so, Father, I pray that you would come in and for those that are willing, that you would help us adjust ourselves and refocus the lenses of our lives on, on you and you alone. I pray that we would, as we put you first, that you would show up in a big way in these areas that, that have been become areas of drought in our life. God, we're ready for you to rain down on us. We thank you so much for what's to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As always, Coastline, know that you are loved and that the best is yet to come.